to the Uproom Frisco podcast. To learn more about your Frisco, please visit uproomfrisco.com. Guys, I feel so grateful for this room. For, for those of you who are new, I mean, just even the moment where we said happy birthday to Karen, I think speaks to the kind of love that's in this room, where I don't really feel nervous. I feel nervous as much as like I care, but I don't feel nervous that I'm going to mess up because I feel the love in this room is like, even if I failed, you guys would celebrate me, <laughs> which is awesome. And to me, is like our father. So uh, come on. <laughs> the, the Lord actually told me recently, I celebrate your mistakes. And I said, God, why do you... I hate my mistakes. Why do you celebrate my mistakes? And he was like, there's no other way to learn. And I was like, okay, I need you. You're still bringing me to, <laughs> to where you see stuff. Okay, well, I'm just going to start with some quotes that have helped me with what I'm going to share about today. We're going to talk about finding God in your story. And here's the first one. Hopefully I can read it on here. Okay, this is Oswald Chambers from My Utmost for His Highest. It says, the complete life is the life of a child. What, like, first off, what? Okay, the, the complete life is the life of a child. When I am consciously conscious, there's something wrong. It is the sick man who knows what health is. The child of God is not conscious of the will of God because he is the will of God. When there has been the slightest deviation from the will of God, we begin to ask, what is thy will? A child of God never prays to be conscious that God answers prayer. He is so restfully certain that God always does answer prayer. If we try to overcome self-consciousness by any common sense method, we will develop it tremendously. Jesus says, come unto me and I will give you rest. Christ's consciousness will take the place of self-consciousness. Wherever Jesus comes, he establishes rest, the rest of perfect activity that is never conscious of itself. Thank you, Jesus. Um, I think I put another quote in here. It's St. Augustine, and it's much simpler. It says, grant me, Lord, the wisdom to know myself that I may know thee. Um, so yeah, that's what I want to talk to you guys about today. And uh, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this room. I thank you for every heart in this room. Lord, I pray today that every heart would experience more of your affection. Lord, as we open our hearts, that we would receive more of your smile. And God, I just pray that you would remind every soul how beloved they are and how much they belong at your table. We love you, Lord. Amen. So I love uh, clear expectations. So this is a slide about our expecta my expectations for today. Okay, what will we do today? I'm going to read scripture, then I'm going to tell a story, then we're going to learn a tool, and then we're going to hear the Lord's voice. <laughs> so you don't have to wonder, are we 30 minutes into this prophetic word? Are we going to go anywhere else, or is this, this is what we're going to do today. And then for most of you, you'll probably have lunch, and then you'll probably watch the Super Bowl. So there's your expectations. Um, yeah, so let's read some scripture. Okay. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened, for to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts, 
But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. It's a beautiful scripture. The part that I want to talk about is, number one, the way that Paul highlights our hearts in the scripture. He's, he's saying basically this dynamic of being veiled from God and being open to God and being transformed into his image is happening in our hearts. And if you read the whole passage, the amount of times he talks about the heart is, is remarkable. And then even says, I've become the gospel in my heart. And um, he's, he's highlighting all of this that has happened, happened in our hearts. And what he's also talking about is what we lost in the garden. He's talking about there's this veil that sits in front of people who have not yet come to Christ. And prior to sin, that veil wasn't there. And so I think it's important for us to know what that veil is and also what Jesus did on the cross for us. And so I have another slide. This is so fun. Okay, this is how we lost connection with our Father. Okay, and this is important because, well, I mean, how many of you know the garden story? Raise your hand. How many of you know that the first way you learned it probably wasn't the right the actual truth of what the story was. I'll say that. <laughs> I learned about a God who changed his mind about humanity and said, never mind, I don't want you till you figure it out. And so that is not at all what happened. <laughs> what actually happened was Adam and Eve were deceived by sin. And then they were afraid that God would hurt them, so they hid. And that, I believe, is the veil that Paul is talking about, is this shame that hides us from God. I think most beautifully described, or you know, not so beautifully described as the, the fig leaves that they found. It's like, I can't let God see me. I need to find something to cover this up. And so we lost connection with our father, but it was this idea we had about him that separated us. I, I love that I get to talk like this in this room because this is what we always talk about. So I'm, I'm grateful that, for that. So I wanna talk about God's desire, which is not what we might think it is. So after the garden, then we have this period, and then there's Moses, which also Paul talks about in that scripture. He talks about this relationship that man has with God through the law. Whenever Moses is read, that's what he's describing is the law, which was a system of sacrifices where once a year, one man dared to enter the room with scary God and offer this sacrifice, hoping that he wasn't going to die because they're like, God's gonna kill us, right? Okay, so this is their relationship with God. So it's this very scary, we don't know what's gonna happen. Okay, well, then there's this other guy, David, who somehow like circumvented all of this, which prior to Christ, we're like, what's going on with this guy? Like he somehow has this relationship with God that's so different from what we believed. And he wrote this, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. He's writing this in a culture that thinks the only way we connect with God is through this. So this is super controversial. <laughs> and then he goes, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you will not despise. So there's that word heart again. And David is highlighting this. This is actually what God wants. I'm looking and I'm like, he doesn't, he doesn't care. He really is not really moved by what we're doing. Um, I want to read the Passion Translation of this because I think it's beautiful. 
For the source of your pleasure is not in my performance or the sacrifices I might offer to you. The fountain of your pleasure is found in the sacrifice of my shattered heart before you. You will not despise my tenderness as I bow down humbly at your feet. So this is giving us a window into what God actually wants, where there's been tons of voices who've tried to tell us what God actually wants from us. This is giving us a window into the truth. And in the garden, before we had to leave, which you can go back and read why it says, like, we got to send them out because otherwise they'll live forever like this. That's the reason why God sent them out of the garden. They eat of the tree of life. But before that happens, God has this moment that establishes, like, there's this veil separating us. He actually sets forth a plan to redeem the situation and to redeem our view of him. He there's this prophecy, it's the first prophecy where he prophesies that Jesus will come and crush the head of the serpent who deceived them. And that's important because even before we were sent out of the garden, even before we're living in this place where shame is separating us from God and we're getting all these wrong ideas about him, God sets forth a plan to to bring us back. And that, we're gonna go there, That's God's will, his relationship from the beginning. Why did he make a garden? Why did he make us? Why did he set forth this plan? Why did he send his son? Because he wants relationship. Deep relationship. He wants to know us and be known by us. And so I'll read the scripture. This is Ephesians 1. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Meaning this was the best way. It was the wisest way to show us the mystery of his will. I think this is profound because what Paul is saying in Ephesians is, up until now, Israel knew about what God did. Israel knew about what God said. But up until now, his will was a mystery to them. They were not completely sure about what God's will was. And so on the cross, the mystery of his will was revealed according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Unity was his desire. It was his will from the beginning. And so his motivation, the reason for the cross is all that we would know him and he would know us. So now I wanna talk about relationships. How many of you are in a relationship? Meaning you have a friend, you have a wife, you have a father, a mother, Raise your hand. <laughs> so all of us have tried this. I'm assuming all of us have tried this and also failed at this and done really well. I think everyone, this is something that we all share. It's what we were made for. And so I just want to do this a little bit. So these are some things that happen in relationship. And this is what God is after. We read, this is his desire, is to have our hearts and to have relationship. So Our goal in relationship is connection. Why is our goal connection? Because we want intimacy. He wants to know us, we wanna know him. When you're in relationship with someone, you want that to the degree of which that relationship requires or allows. And so these three things on the bottom are crucially important for that. And I kind of put them out of order. I would put honesty on the left probably next time. Because for me, honesty is like the intro towards this. It's like, I'm going to be honest with you. Then there's transparency where you can see both ways. I have fun slides for all of these too. Ultimately, you cannot have intimacy unless you are vulnerable with each other. And so I'm going to show you these pictures. Um, This one is hilarious to me. How many of you have seen Home Improvement? (laughs) Yes, Wilson Wilson. (laughs) 
even the name I think is giving like he doesn't want them to know who he really is, you know? <laughs> like so but they can have a conversation but but Tim Allen's character can't see him. He can just hear him. There's this wall between them. But they can speak honestly. And I would say this is somewhat probably what our the maximum intimacy we could have had with God prior to the cross looked something like this. It was like between the fig leaf and me, we're just kind of talking, but there's not really any knowing happening. Then I would say transparency is like sort of the next level where you can see. So this picture is kind of cloudy, but the point is like a window. And that is a big deal. If you've ever been in a relationship where it sort of shifts into that place where someone is showing you what their life has really been or what their thoughts are really like or what, you know, that's a big win if you're a parent to a kid when they start being transparent and start telling you like the whole truth of their life and letting you see. But there's, even in transparency, there's still kind of like this wall that separates you. It's clear, you can see, but it's like, I can't quite reach in. And this beautiful picture to me describes what vulnerability is and what it feels like is I'm giving myself over to you, not knowing necessarily what's gonna happen. And in order to have intimacy with someone, you have to do this. And it's so, I mean, if you've been hurt before, that is so scary. If you've been dropped before, that is so scary. So the importance of the cross is Jesus going, I'll go first. He's leading the way in vulnerability. Philippians 2 says he empties himself and then he humbles himself in obedience to the point of death. He put himself into our frame and then into our hands to show us there's nothing that you can do. There is no ugliness you've touched. There is no ugliness you've looked like. There is nothing inside of you that could prevent us from this relationship, that could prevent us from this love. And he goes and says, in, the, in like the lowest human state, he's carrying all sin, he's bloody, he's beaten, he got left alone. All these things that would bring us shame and would cause us to hide. He's living in all of it, is in his body. And he says, into your hands I commit my spirit, saying, none of this was able to separate me from the Father. So he proves to us beyond the shadow of a doubt what God's will was, which is just to have relationship, that there is nothing you can do to separate me from the love of my Father. This is important because when you're wanting to be vulnerable, if you think that the person you're talking to is the one that's gonna punish you, you might not be as vulnerable as you would be if it was a person that you know unconditionally accepts you, right? So and this is very important to God. He went to great lengths to send us this message. Nothing that you do will scare me away. In fact, the opposite is true. When you are vulnerable with me, I move in closer to you. Okay, I want to talk about now what happens in vulnerability and part of why I believe it's so important to God. We're gonna go back to this scripture, which is 2 Corinthians 4. It says, for God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown a light in our hearts to give light to the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. 
I want to talk about sort of what he's describing in the scripture, which is crazy. And I'll be the first one to say, this is one of the scriptures, I grew up in church. This is one of the scriptures that when I was a kid, I would hear people say it, and I was like, I have no idea what they just said. There's a couple of them. It's just like not plain English. And so for, to me, it wasn't. <laughs> and so it took me a long time to even begin to understand what he's saying. The God who said, let light shine out of darkness. So obviously, I know, I feel like I know now that he's talking about creation. This is the God that said, let light shine out of darkness. So he's saying, this is the one who designed you, has shown a light in your heart to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. So what does that mean? The glory of Jesus, the treasure in the jar of clay, is actually inside of you. So this is God's plan to reveal his glory. He's sort of giving us a window into what now, how do I show my glory to the earth? It's you and me. It's our hearts. And that's what he's saying. He's like, I'm just going first. I'm experiencing the death, the vulnerability that Jesus did. I'm following him into the vulnerability. I'm sharing my story. I was a mess, him. I killed Christians. <laughs> I stoned Stephen. I was a mess. And Jesus came to me on the road and called out the gold that was inside of me and said, this is not who you are. He actually changed my name. And now the person that's in front of you now experienced a death. And now you get to see the life of Jesus because he ripped away all that mess that was over my heart. And now you see the real me, the one he created. So what am I saying to you? Your story is incredibly important. In your actual story, where you were born, what you used to do with your life, the ways that you've messed up, the ways that you've been awesome, every part of it is intended to reveal the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is the vehicle God likes to use. That's why David is like, you didn't want like these lambs and bulls and goats and stuff. You wanted my heart broken, open. Well, that's why because he knows what's in there. And that's what he's about. That's what he's wanted from the garden. So, our stories. I wanna, I wanna talk a little bit about this process because I think in nature it shows it really beautifully. I know, how many of you have been here when Jeremy sings, I like how you let the enemy bury you? I think he's always silly. Have, have, you, have you guys ever heard that one? So, because you knew that you were a seed. And so, because Jesus says, unless a seed falls to the ground, and he's talking about like how sometimes things have to die in order to bring forth life. I think this is a beautiful picture. I found this on Google Images. You could tell I, I didn't pay for it because it still has the logo of the website on it. <laughs> but it says planting process. And I love it because it has no words. It's just like you can see. So that seed, what's inside the seed is covered by something that then has to break and be torn away. And then through a process of going in soil and receiving sunlight and receiving water, a flower comes out. So I'm going to explain this to you. That was a seed, and it was just a seed. And then the sunlight hit it, and then the sunlight made it a flower. Is that what happened? Nah. <laughs> That's not what happened. <laughs> Y'all failed the test. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm celebrating your failure. Um, <laughs> okay, let's try again. Let's try again. So this is, this is gold refinement. I think this one is cool too. It says the gold is sent to a refinery where it's melted down into an induction furnace. Once all of the impurities are removed, the gold is formed into a bar and prepped to eventually re-enter the market. So what happened here was there was a stone 
and the stone went into the fire and the fire made it gold. No, is that, re- is that really not what it is? I'm kidding. That's totally not what it is. It was always gold. It was always gold. This was always a flower. But there was a process that brought the beauty forth. You and I couldn't see it. So this is, there's something about our vulnerability with God that brings forth the person that he made you to be. The messy stuff, the everything, all of it. So I am going to share with you some of my story and how God's done this in my life to hopefully just stir more of what I'm talking about for you guys. I have a slide for that too. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm like, I'm a slide guy today. Okay, I'm going to introduce you to some people. This, that baby is not me. <laughs> It's my brother, my older brother. So don't freak out. That's my older brother. These are my grandparents. This is Giacomo and Anna Greco. And they were born in Sicily in 1926 and 1928. Um, So a long, long, long time ago. And I want to talk to you about them because they are part of the reason why I am the way that I am. And the, the ways that they are, um, are, I'll tell you about them. So they grew up in the Great Depression where there was not a lot of food, there was not a lot of money, and they didn't live in a wealthy place, so they struggled a lot. And their existence was like, we have to make food stretch. I was just talking to my girlfriend last night. I was thinking, the way my nona used to make sauce was like a little like a little bit of tomatoes, a ton of tomato paste, then a ton of water, and then some sugar. And I was thinking, that junk slapped. I'm gonna be honest. It was so good. Like she made it so good. But I was thinking, I wonder if that was like we didn't really have enough tomatoes, so we had to sort of stretch it out and add water and then some sugar so that it tasted sweeter, you know? Like, and so we discovered something awesome through that. But they grew up first in the Great Depression, and then there was, um, in, my, in my Nono's family, he was the oldest son but the fourth child that was born. And the reason why is not because he had sisters, but it was because tuberculosis was like, nasty at that time and none of his older siblings lived above two years old so he was the firstborn son and kind of got all the responsibility and pressure of like you're going to carry this name on then they lived in sicily which was an interesting place to live during world war ii because right up until the end italy was on the wrong side of the war and that meant that they also grew up in bombings and it was England that was bombing them. My grandfather used to tell me stories about being in the house and hearing it shake. And then he would say, God would, God woke us up and said, move out of your bed. And then like a glass chandelier would shatter where they were. And he said, like, God saved our lives during that time because it, it was a scary place to live. And so... Um, they, knowingly or not knowingly, they came to the Lord. They were beautiful believers, and they taught us. They taught us to follow Jesus, but they also taught us other stuff. They also taught us, which this is partially because of their experience as Italians, partially their experience as immigrants, and then partially their personal experience of when they got saved, their Catholic family rejected them. They taught us, you cannot trust anyone but your family. Like, they would look around the room and say, these people in this room, this is the only people you can trust in the world. We love everyone, but ultimately don't ever trust anyone except the people in this room. And so they were communicating to me, you are alone. You've got to figure this out on your own. The world is not going to help you. People are not going to help you. 
If they try to, they're not being honest, they want something from you, they're subtly communicating these things to me. Okay, the next one I'm gonna do is, that baby is me. <laughs> I was cute, huh? Um, this is, these are my parents. On the left is Sheila, and on the right is Ruben. And I wanna talk to you about them because my father also carried some of these things, and he was a wonderful man. He loved Jesus. Um, but he passed away when I was eight years old and left my mom, five of us. She was a single mom with five kids, um, and I'm the fourth child. So from six years old to 13 was all five of us. Um, and my mom, obviously, she did amazing too. I can, I can never thank my mom enough or, or remember. I, I believe I have the best mom in the world because of what she faced and then what she overcame to give us the life that we have. Um, but she was overwhelmed. My whole life, she was overwhelmed. I would, she would describe it as I was just in survival mode for probably 12 years after my dad passed away. And so... I am gonna share with you a memory that I have, which is that my 14-year-old brother, who I believe was probably depressed at the time, this is, this is probably a year after my father passed away, he would always leave dishes on the table, like in front of the TV. And my mom would ask him hundreds of times, hundreds of times, can you pick up the dish and bring it to the sink? And he would not do it, like never do it. So we're talking hundreds of explosions. They're just going at it, yelling at each other. So for me as a nine-year-old, I think at the time, that was scary. It was like, this is not safe. Like I am not safe. My brother and my mom are going at it, screaming. I don't need this. So what I started doing was, taking his dish to the sink. So I, I would watch him. I'm like, I know he's not going to take it. And I know that when he doesn't take it, my mom is going to scream at him. And I don't, wanna, I don't want that. Like, that's bad. That's all I knew. So I'm going to start taking this dish to the sink from my brother. What I learned in that moment was I am not just responsible for me. I'm responsible for other people, too. I'm responsible for their emotions, for their actions, their behavior, and if they're okay or not. So that's a big, I picked up a big like at nine years old. And I continued to like operate out of that thing. And honestly, in some ways it made me strong. In some ways it made me like desirable in some of my jobs. I was able to like perceive like, okay, I think that's what he wants, like way before other people could. I could feel like, okay, I think they're going to need that. But ultimately, it was like from this weird, strange place. And um, I would, I think it's two years ago, a, a little less than two years ago, I had this situation with my friends where they were like, we feel you're too busy for us. We feel like we're out of touch with you. We don't know what's going on in your life. And I saw the convergence of I'm all alone, it's all up to me, what I learned from my grandparents, and I'm responsible for everyone's emotions. Because the way I responded to my friends telling me that was I need to fix this. Whatever I can do, I just need to fix this. And so I started apologizing for everything. I wasn't even thinking about what they were telling me. I just was like... I need this to go away. And I was operating out of that thing, right? So I, this time, I had done that many times in my life. This time I was recognizing this is not working. This is really not working this time. Like this has worked for me so far, I guess. But today this is not working. I need a different way. And so I began through a long process, which I could tell any of you about another day if you want to talk about it, to become vulnerable with God about this topic. And through conversation with people and conversation with him, I was led to some of these memories, 
where these beliefs were coming from, that I'm responsible for you and you and you and you. And um, I found a father who had something else to say about it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I want to read to you a bit of what he told me. Um, before I do that, I'll tell, I'll tell now my intro level story. Now that you know my family, you know um, that, well, actually, I didn't tell you. So between Italy and the United States was Argentina. My family moved from Sicily to Argentina, then to the United States. And my father was born in Argentina and uh, would consider himself Argentinian. Um, and so he spoke fluent Spanish. He spoke Italian, Spanish, and sort of English, not really that good of English. Um, but when he passed away, I also began to believe I'm, I'm like not legit. My dad's from Argentina, but I, am I Spanish or not? It became confusing because I was like, I think if he had stayed around, I probably would know the language better. So it just became this confusing point to the, to the degree where if someone would, which happened a lot, if someone would come up to me and start speaking Spanish, all the Spanish I did know was gone. I would just like tremble. Like, I don't know what to say. I'm confused. I'm like, like, it was like, I didn't even know hola. Like it was gone. All of it, all of it was gone, seriously. And I, and I recognized uh, also through this thing that I'm, the tool, remember the tool, through this tool that I'm going to teach you, I recognized with God's help that I felt shame and I felt like a fraud or like an illegitimate son because I didn't carry all of the culture and the legacy that my dad would have given to me had he lived my whole life. And so that left me in this place of shame, like, well, when I'm with like the super American people, uh, I don't feel fully like they get everything, like they don't get the food that I eat or the kind of the way that I talk. But then I'm, when I'm with the Spanish people, I don't feel fully like I belong there either. And so I'm like this split, like, who am I? And it caused me to shut down and hide and in the shame. And so when I began to talk to the Lord about this, he led me to Isaiah 61. And Isaiah 61 is beautiful. I believe it is the, 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 what the vision of what I'm about to teach you is Isaiah 61. And some of the promises in Isaiah 61 are here. Um, this is what he, he promises, to give them. This is, Jesus says, this is why he came, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. And I'll add this, I heard it today. He said, I'll give you rest instead of your burden. And another in Matthew 11, and then instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion of honor. And for me in that situation with the cultures of my dad and, and my mom and the way that I grew up, that part really stood out to me because I felt ashamed. And the father, it was almost like he leaned down and said, no, you have a double portion. You carry both these legacies in your body. You carry the languages, the spirit of both of these places within you. You have a gift that's called a double portion. And I experienced in real time, God saying this thing you're ashamed about, I'm, giving, I'm just gonna change your perspective to mine and show you it's actually a double portion and it's for your honor. So, Okay, I mean, a fun fact about that is through that process of what the Lord was doing in my life, I realized I'm not, I can't really speak Spanish and I wanna do better. And this is not a, I know some of you will probably do this. This isn't necessarily a challenge for you who speak Spanish to walk up to me and start speaking Spanish. <laughs> you can do that if you want. I may talk back to you, I may not. Um, because I'm still on this journey, but I, ha I did start singing in Spanish because it came very naturally to me. After the shame was gone, I started to explore singing in Spanish, and it's been this beautiful, like, life-giving place for me with God, 
And on top of that, I have now gotten these opportunities to go places and sing in Spanish, and it makes no sense to me. To me, it is like the jar of clay with the treasure inside. It's like, it may, one person actually said to me, you're an illusion. Because I would go and sing in Spanish and even like spontaneous and all this stuff. And then they would try to speak Spanish to me and I'd be like, I don't know what you just said. <laughs> and so to me, it's like, what, what did Paul say in 2 Corinthians 4 is like, why there's treasure in these earthen vessels. So to know that the glory belongs to God. It's like this doesn't, our lives don't really make sense. And I think sometimes we long for a life that makes sense, but it doesn't really make sense because we are in relationship with God and he makes things that are impossible possible. So, okay, this is the tool. It's called journaling the voice of God. Um, and I want to teach it to you. The, the goal of this tool is for us to repent from something we're believing and then receive his perspective. Okay, so I want to do this real quick. Um, some, some people, including myself, when I started doing this, I hit these roadblocks when I started doing this. Okay, the first one is uh, the thought. That was just me thinking those things, not really God speaking. Okay, the truth I'm going to give you is God lives in you. The truth is God actually lives inside me and you. His voice will come through your thoughts most of the time because that's where he is. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says you have the added benefit of having the mind of Christ. Okay, number two, Jesus heard the voice of the Father. This is the thought. Writing God's voice down is dangerous because it diminishes the authority of the Bible. It's too risky, and we have the Bible. Let's stay safe. Truth, Jesus heard the voice of the Father and said that we would too. The scriptures are a higher authority that gives us level ground to practice on and a safe place to grow. Uh, God is not going to change or tell us something that is out of line with who he is and who he is uh, revealed to be through scripture. Ask him to show you in the word what he's speaking to you personally. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they will follow me. Okay, this one too. God is kind. The thought is I'm afraid to hear God's voice. What if he punishes me? Truth. Every time you journal the voice of the Lord, his nature will be at the forefront of each word. His voice is full of kindness, generosity, and love. Whether it is an affirmation or correction, challenge yourself to begin to learn his true tone. And the last one here, uh, it's worth the risk. Thought, I should hear perfectly the first time. How many of you have done anything perfectly the first time? Zero. Um, the truth, journaling God's voice is something we practice and do by faith and trust. The pressure to do it perfectly the first time is not from God. Just like any relationship, it takes time to really know someone. It is a leap just like many things. With God, it is well worth the risk. John 16, 13, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. Okay, I actually do have one more. We can believe God, thought, this is just wishful thinking. This is too good to be true. Truth, God is better than we dream. Ephesians 3.20 says that God is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. This isn't about you making something up. It's about believing God and trusting him enough to try. So I know we really only have like six minutes left. I'll ask you for like eight minutes, and I want to try something with you guys. How many of you have your phones or something to write with? Okay, so I want you to join me in doing this exercise. And Judd, do you have that music that I, okay. Okay, I wanna stir your expectation and I'm gonna read you some of part of what, something that the Lord told me. So you can take out your phone or whatever you're gonna write with. And then I want you to close your eyes and just listen to this. Okay. This is one of the times where I came to the Lord and repented for believing that it was all up to me, that I'm alone. 
And therefore, that God wasn't being a good father and that he had forgotten about me. And also, I think I repented for feeling the responsibility for others. And so he said to me, today, I want to give you the gift of knowing on the inside that you are great because I say so. And that my love is not based on how fast or how much you grow. And that the only greatness you will ever be able to sustain is the greatness I have specifically designed for you to carry. When you look to others to judge how well you are doing and compare the way your growth looks to theirs, you are fooling yourself into thinking you can judge yourself well and taking on pressure that you were never made a shoulder. I am so proud of you for coming to me with these burdens that have made you tired and I have some beautiful new garments for you to wear. These garments are called You Belong to Me and you are my responsibility. Rafi, I take the responsibility of being your father very seriously and I will finish what I started in you. Take a deep breath, feel my affection and compassion towards you and lean on me as I lead you into a new level of intimacy with me. Rafi, I'm so proud of the choices you've made to get to this point and how you've trusted this far. You are doing a good job and so am I. This next chapter of your story is going to blow your mind. I have so many gifts in store for you. I love you, son. Abba. This way of communicating with the Father has completely changed my life. It has done that thing over and over again where I look and whether it's the, you want to call it the fire in his eyes like the gold or the light of his face like the flower, looking at him has brought forth more of who I really am. And so I want to give you this thing that has changed my life. So the way, the instruction I'll give you, and I'll do it with you, is to open a note and first write for about a minute just your words. If you, if while I was talking, something came to your mind, something you believe, a story from your childhood, whatever, you can talk to him about anything. If you don't have something specific, just write the words, who do you say that I am? Question mark. And then I want you to try and remember all the stuff we read to write his perspective and just go. Usually it's your first thought. Just begin to write from his perspective, just like how I just read to you. And I'll do it with you. So this is my blessing for you to just go for it. You don't have to finish it now. You can keep going if you want. I don't mind. <laughs> but the beautiful thing about however you just experienced that is you didn't need anyone to do that. And um, no one just did that perfect. I just want to say that I didn't do it perfect, but I did hear the voice of the Father. And what I would challenge you to do also is uh, read that out loud as if he was talking to you when you're by yourself or later or to someone else, even better. Read that out loud. Um, I do have one more slide I want to show you before I close out. Um, I love this picture. Um, I'll just read this. There is something about the loving fire in Jesus' eyes that burns away all that life has tried to tell us about who we are and what our value is. As we gaze on him and bring our hearts in vulnerability, it removes layer after layer of lies, revealing the truth of our intrinsic value 
that has always been on the inside. And the picture is like, if you've seen these, sometimes there's like 11 stickers or something. On, I've seen them so much where it, the price just gets marked down. And this is what the enemy does. This is what the world does. And if you walk up to that, you think, oh, this thing is worth however much it says. But every time we come to the Father, it's like he tears another sticker off. And it's revealing more of what has always been in, inside you. You are Abba's child. Um, so if you would stand with me, I'm just going to pray. Uh, and there will be a ministry team up in the front. It's a slide. <laughs> Lord, thank you. Thank you that we have access to the Father at all times, in any place, in the airport, in the car, at school, in our bedrooms, in the bathroom. Lord, we have access. This relationship is real. And God, I thank you that hearts were connected back to Abba today. Lord, we just pray that the Spirit of God would provoke us to be vulnerable just in response to the vulnerability you've already shown us, Lord. God, that we would know deep on the inside we belong. We have a seat at the table that we're living in the light of your smile. Your eyes are ever turned towards us, Lord. Lord, we drink deep your affection. We breathe in deep your words. God, let them transform us into the image of your son, into the image of who you made us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys.